0: This episode of My Financial Life is brought to you by Evo Car Share. Here to there with room for your friends. Plus, Evo's hybrid fleet is equipped with bike and ski racks, allowing you to enjoy everything the city has to offer. Sign up for free at evo.ca or via the Evo Car Share app using the promo code UBCAlumni. From alumni UBC, this is My Financial Life, a podcast mini-series about personal finance. On this episode, host Mark Ting, partner with Foundation Wealth, speaks to Dave Worf, senior manager of customer operations at Evo Car Share, about how expanding public transportation options, including car sharing, can impact household finances. So yeah. can you tell us uh,
1: exactly what is Evo and what is car, car sharing and when it came to BC?
2: Yeah. So um, so car sharing has basically kind of two flavors. Um, so it's got two-way car sharing and one-way car sharing. Evo is one-way car sharing. So what that means is uh, when you're a member of, of Evo, you can go out, you can find a vehicle, you can get in it, you can drive it to your destination and leave the vehicle at that destination in a designated spot or, or a, a, a a spot that you're allowed to park um, within a certain home zone. Two-way car sharing, it's a little bit different than, than us, is you would take a vehicle from a spot, you would do what you needed to do, and then you would have to bring that vehicle back to that same spot to end your trip. So, okay. they, you know, we're both technically car sharing, but we're definitely two different use cases.
1: So two-way wouldn't work for going to the airport? Yeah. Um, Unless you want to pay long-term parking fees, yeah.
2: Is... Again, it could be it could work for you. Yeah, if you if you would ha- you would have to pay for the parking, right? Um, that's there. Uh, I think Zipcar actually had some parking at the airport for a, for a long time. They were they were two-way, um, but uh, we're yeah we're a little different. You know, we're really about um, being able to get you where you want to go in that one-way scenario. Uh, and uh and then when you're coming back again then you've got all sorts of different options mm. if there's an Evo there great you can take it and you can get home if there isn't maybe you're gonna take transit or a bike or, or do whatever you need to do um yeah so we've been in bc um since 2015 and uh yeah i think car sharing in general is, is has been here since uh, i think it's around 2009 uh, at least from a free floating or one-way perspective um now, uh, Modo, uh, it was formerly Vancouver Car Co-op, uh, they've been around since uh, the mid-90s um, and are real, real trailblazers um, in a lot of the bylaws and, and, and things like that. Mm. So, But from an, an EVO and a BCA perspective, um, yeah, we really have, have decided that we think uh, free-floating or, or one-way car sharing is the, the best way to go. I think it gives our members the most options. Um, and what that means is we, we have to have a big fleet and, uh, and make sure those vehicles are, are moved around and and put in places that are going to be convenient for people.
1: Uh, so I drove in from Richmond today and on the way I counted five Evos. Nice. So the one thing I noticed as I drove in here, I noticed the parking lots. That was pretty cool because they just parked in anywhere. And I did park in the parkade and they parked right away where I had to go around and around and around. So... Wondering, is there a lot of people who basically use Evos mostly for the parking perks?
2: Well, I think I think parking is a, a huge driver for for people using our service. You know, we're really all about convenience. We're trying to figure out how we can get people away from their own car and make it as convenient as possible for them to share vehicles. Uh, parking is a huge part of that, right? So um, when you think about you leave your house, you know, there's two real key pieces of convenience that you think about with car sharing is uh, how do I find the vehicle Mm -hmm. and where do I leave it when I get to where I want to be? So uh, parking is really, really key to to what we do. So when we look at parking, we look at, um, a lot of off street parking and we try to make not only, um, those spots easy to find, but convenient. So, you know, we really try to work with our parking vendors to, to get those spots that are, they're right up front. Um, as a reserved spots. So you
1: pay for those parking
2: spots? Yes.
1: OK, yeah. but then the, the the EVO member does not. That's just part of their their deal.
2: That's correct, yeah. So um, when you are using an EVO, you're paying um, the fee to use the EVO. But included in that fee that you don't have to worry about that we take on is the insurance, is the gas, is the maintenance, is the parking. So um, you know ultimately, those are huge expenses. Um, that people a lot of times don't think about when their're own vehicle. They don't right. they don't tally it up as a, as a total. Um, but we just wanted to, you know, we take that away from people having to worry about it. And, and a big part of that is then if you're gonna say we're gonna pay for parking, we've got to make sure there's parking <laughs> you right. Know? So um, so yeah, our off street is is a, a big part of it. I did the same thing. I took an Evo here mm-hmm. and uh, I parked in the parkade that's uh, just across from the building here. And uh, we have, you know, roughly 10 spots right out, out front, you know, once you're on the first floor of that, that parkade. And uh, I was happy to see they were half full. That's exactly mm-hmm. what I want, half full. So there's spots for people coming and there's cars for people when they're, they're So if,
1: if someone were to arrive and there wasn't a spot, then they just have to find another Evo spot, which they could presumably find on their app?
2: Yes and no. So um, in most parkades that we have, um, we have overflow parking. So what that means is um, we will have a designated area outside of those reserve spots that you can then park. Like we don't want people getting there and seeing they're full and being like, man, and then having to drive out and look for another parkade and maybe that's full. So we really want people to just get to their destination. Again, it's about convenience um, and be able to leave their vehicle. So, it, so a good example would be in that parkade. If I saw all those spots were full, I could go all the way up to the roof. And I could park anywhere on the roof, and that would be considered overflow parking. Okay, so
1: that's, that's fine. And financially, um, I could see people using that. Because I was thinking about, i got to be here tomorrow. Yeah. And typically, my family only has one car. We, we're actually riding two cars now because I'm doing a renovation on a house. So I got my work truck. But typically, I would have to come here, drive here, pay for parking. And then I'd have to go to my office downtown, pay for parking there, and then drive home where I was thinking, oh, you know, Evo would have been perfect. I could have just driven here, driven downtown, left my car there and took the Sky Train home.
2: Yeah. So a lot of people do that. Yeah, for sure. You know, that's, that's a big key part of what we do is that. That's what we call um, multimodal or inter- intermodal travel. So it's that idea of, you know, you take an Evo somewhere downtown, then you can leave it for someone else, and then you can take the train home or you can, um, you know, get a taxi if you really need to. You know, really kind of mix it up a little bit, but not have to worry about the actual vehicle itself. You know, because it's not just the cost of parking, but it's also the time limits that come with parking, Mm -hmm. right? Sometimes you park somewhere, it's a two-hour limit. And although pay-by-phone is a great app and it allows you to to kind of continue to extend, there gets to a point where it says you can't extend anymore. And um, all of a sudden, you know, that $3, you know, metered parking is now, you know, $50 or whatever because you've gotten a ticket.
1: Yeah. Uh, that's what I was thinking. It's, it's mostly time. I hate driving out of the downtown core at five or six or something like that. Totally. That, that drives me nuts. I much prefer to take the SkyTrain. Oh, yeah. Um, have you actually broken down or are there any stats about um, someone who bought a car versus someone who Evos or car shares? Um, have, have you actually run the numbers and actually figured out how much it stays, how much someone could save for a typical purchase?
2: You know, I, there's been some studies done by CAA um, that say, you know, it cost about $900 a month for a vehicle okay. um, based on, you know, gas, maintenance, insurance, uh, car payments, those sorts of things. Um, you know, I can say that we're much cheaper than that for sure. So we're 41 cents a minute um, mm-hmm. up until we say 36 minutes. And then it flips over to our hour uh, charge, which is $15. Okay. And then our daily rate is $90. Yeah. Uh, so your Evo
1: is working for basically the new minimum wage. Yeah, yeah, exactly.
2: <laughs> that's a good point. Um, so, you know, when you look at it, it's definitely going to be cheaper. But it's cheaper also because you're using our service in conjunction with doing things like taking transit, um, walking, active transportation, like biking. And that's another reason that we have um, uh, our our roof racks, so that you can, right. you can bring your bike, you know. Um, of course, we always remind people, if you... Got your bike on the roof? Don't go into an underground parking lot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> People forget sometimes. So uh, you know, it's it's really that's where uh, it, you start to see a real cost savings. Is that um, you, you suddenly have this this larger menu of mobility that opens up, um, especially if you you make that commitment to to get rid of your second car or even your first car.
1: Mm-hmm. So you're, you're finding, I guess, who would be your typical Evo member?
2: You know, I, I, it's millennials. Okay. You know, um, quote unquote. Uh, yeah. You know, if that's uh, even even still within that that demographic, but we look at the the anywhere from twenty two to twenty six; those ages are our heaviest users, um, and uh, so that that's where a lot of our marketing does focus. With that being said, though, um, within Vancouver, I'm I'm starting to see a lot more younger families, uh, people in their thirties and forties, using us as well too, especially as a complement to that second vehicle. Um, so, you know, if you've got a child and all of a sudden, you know, some, you know, you need to take your, your kid to school and you need your personal vehicle, but your spouse needs something else as well too, then, then we're there for those people as well. Right.
1: Like my situation today. Yeah, totally. But, um, I can't use it because I'm in Richmond. Mm -hmm. So your, your home zone is basically limited to Vancouver and New West. Is that right?
2: It's uh, Vancouver, New West and North Van.
1: Oh, North Van as well. Yeah. And then you got little pockets here and there.
2: We do. So we've got satellite parking zones in Burnaby. Mm-hmm. Uh, so in SFU, uh, BCIT, Metro Town. Uh, we've also got some CapU um, parking spots as well too. Grouse Mountain, and then uh, at uh, the Park and Fly lot in uh, at YVR.
1: Okay, so people could drive to YVR, drop off their stuff, go on their trip. Someone else takes the and goes home. Exactly. Yeah. Okay, that that makes sense. And there's enough space for a family of four with luggage? Yes.
2: Well, depends how much luggage. Depends how <laughs> much luggage. So you
1: got to pack, well, the, with the cost of baggage fees. It makes sense. To yeah, you. exactly. Pack light. Pack yeah, your yeah. Your, do the carry on. Save thing. people money here. Yeah. <laughs> that's pretty That's pretty it. So I was also reading that the last time you expanded your home zone was when um, Share Now or Cardigo. Uh, decrease theirs. And now that we're hearing that share now, Cardigo is basically ceasing operations in, what is it, a month? Yeah, like
2: fe- February 29th.
1: Do you got plans to expand it further?
2: Well, I think really what we want to do with with their pulling out is we want to focus on those areas that they were serving that we also serve and just make sure that we're we're meeting that that demand for people. Um, it's really challenging when you... When you have a mobility option and you've made that part of your life when it when it disappears. Yeah, it's challenging and uh, We really look at when we're expanding um, our home zone we really um, We want to be careful about how far we expand because then the people that are using us they depend on us if it isn't working or it isn't a Viable area to, to get out of that area. It does people a bit of a disservice so that's why we're a little bit um, careful about how quickly, because a lot of people tell me, "Like, why aren't you in Richmond? Why don't? What about Burnaby? What about Surrey?" And you know, yes, we would love to be there one day, but we want to make sure that we're we're able to uh, serve people the right way and make it a viable, you know, part of their mobility uh, options. So it's really, really important to us that um, as Cardigo share now leaves. Mm-hmm. We are focused on on serving the people that are that are already in that area that we serve. That we're maybe using both our services, or right. we're only using theirs, and and are now going to switch over to us. Um, so that that's really our focus as we go forward. And so, from from my perspective as as the parking guy, um, I really need to to start to look at you know how can we make our parking as robust as possible. Um, again, making sure that we've got that convenience.
1: So if car to go goes, and parking's at a premium. I see tons of car to go parking spaces. Are you guys planning on taking those over?
2: Yeah, you know, I've been, you know, we all run in the same circles when it comes to, to parking yeah. and parking vendors. And so we, you know, I have a good relationship with, with most of the parking companies that, that, that service the city, especially Easy Park, which is part of the city of Vancouver. They've been very, very supportive and a great partner. And, um, yeah, so we, you know, we've definitely been looking at, hey – You know, Evo's got 10 spots. ShareNow's got 10 spots. There's 10 spots that that we know are being used that that are probably going to be filled with Evo's. So we want to be careful about how we do that because there's a cost around that. Hmm. And car sharing is a very, very uh, expensive, capital-heavy business to get into. So, you know, um, between, you know, the cost of the vehicles themselves uh, and and the parking, um, you know, it's it's – it's very cost prohibitive so we want to be we want to be prudent about how we expand but there are some some from my perspective some kind of slam dunk parking spots that yes that going to be pretty obvious that that we're going to expand into
1: yeah. so you've been you've been around for how many years
2: so we're just coming up on our 5th birthday in march okay so yeah. pretty new yeah
1: so was, i'm assuming it's been really smooth no problems whatsoever
2: oh yeah 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 it's super easy <laughs> Um, you know it's it's always um, I think when you you are in an industry that's new yeah. you're constantly um, you know finding out things that you never thought would have would have been an, an issue
1: let let us tell us about an issue that you you know a lot of it, it is forecast or, yeah I think, see
2: I think a lot of it is is I remember our first snowfall right um, that that was a good example of of oh wow people. Are are kind of just leaving cars in snowdrifts and and walking away from them, and of course, what's then happening is is they're they're either blocking people or they're they're kind of put somewhere haphazardly, and it's kind of a you know oh man we've got to really figure out how to how to deal with with this, and you know we're lucky we have a really great fleet team that that works extremely hard and is out there cleaning and and moving and fixing and um, you know uh, refueling the vehicles so it's um yeah it's it's something that we're constantly like trying to to dial in and make as efficient as possible so, so if
1: someone actually left their car in a snowdrift mm-hmm. then someone from your company would have to go there and move it
2: yeah, unless some other member happened upon it and was able to get it out. Um, but uh, if, I think most people would probably see it and go, uh, maybe I'll, I'll get the one that's further down the street.
1: Do you yeah. put snow tires on your cars during the winter?
2: We have, um, they're mud and snow rated. Okay. Um, so, you know, the hybrid. Yeah, yeah. They, they, so they, they're, they're fine in the snow. But, you know, when we think about two weeks ago, yeah. um, really most people probably shouldn't have been driving overall.
1: Is that what you found, you know, though? Did you find your stats were decreased during that Oh, time? for sure.
2: Yeah, we, we we had a lot of um, uh, people that just didn't drive, you know, and got the news saying, "Don't leave your house unless you really need to." Mm-hmm. Um, you know, people people decide not to. And hey, he did and, that and, warning. Yeah, and so we, we definitely saw a, a decrease in our in our trips, um, and it was even challenging for staff to get into the building, you know. So, um, you know, but that's snow in Vancouver, right?
1: Yeah. Well, it's not that often but got to prepare for it i guess yeah uh, it's from a financial perspective so you, you see living in vancouver being as unaffordable as it is and costs going up and people are looking at ways to to reduce their their uh, transportation costs so is that the main reason you're you're seeing people sort of gravitating like i i know a lot of buildings don't offer parking lots parking spaces anymore and they're there's almost assuming that people will either card share or uh, ride shares, or come up with another alternative?
2: Yeah, I think that um, it's definitely, when you look at car ownership, and you, you really break down the cost of how much it is to own a, own a vehicle, um, compared to how much you use it, you know, it really sits there
0: mm-hmm.
2: unused 90 to 95% of the time. Um, you do start to wonder if this is something that you want to spend your money on. And in, in Vancouver, it's it is it's very expensive to live here. Um, we also have a really great, dense um, city. And when you look at areas like the West End and Kitsilano and, and and the way that that Vancouver is a city that has from a downtown perspective is a real live work space, um, people are are kind of saying, do I really need this? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we also have a really, really great um, transit authority. you know, TransLink, um, is is one of the, the best transit providers in North America, and they, they're one of the only ones that have actually seen an increase in usage uh, over the, the past few years. And um, so I, I think that here taking transit um, is a, a viable option. Um, there's still a little bit of a stigma around it, you know, if you go into Europe or, or what have you, you know, taking the, the metro or the tube.
1: There's a stigma, like a negative stigma? A little bit. I guess that's what a stigma is. Yeah, yeah.
2: Like, you know, I think if you're in Europe, it doesn't, you can, everybody takes, you know, public transportation. But I think for certain people, uh, a lot of times they don't want to, they don't want to take that, take the bus. They think it's weird or it's, you know, it's, and uh, I think sometimes having a car to people is a bit of a status symbol. Yeah. But I think for those that really break it down and look at it and say, do I need it? In a city like Vancouver, um, I don't think you, you need to own your own vehicle. And, you know, we have 1,500 vehicles, and um, we serve a relatively small area. Um, so, you know, we're, we're a real viable option when you do need a car for something, like you need to go pick something up or you want to get home really quickly or, you know, or, or it's raining. Um, so, you know, it's as nice kind of pay-as-you-go. And, you know, one of the things that we've done is, We've invested a lot of money um, and partnered with the city of Vancouver to offer metered parking. Mm -hmm. So again, like when we talk about downtown, you can ultimately leave that vehicle anywhere you want. Um, And so it's almost a no brainer,
1: you know. So no time limits, downtown meters. No limits. So they can do overnight and stuff. Okay. I could see that being a, a huge benefit. Yeah. I'm also I'm also thinking like I'm actually kind of surprised about that stigma comment because I, I look I take the train every day and I, I look around at who who's on the train with me. I know the lines. I don't know. It's maybe newer and something like that, but mm-hmm. I see all sorts there. And uh, I think the the attitude would turn translink for people in my industry or lots of people is like they love it. They prefer it to the cars. Definitely. I'm definitely in that category. I, I do not like driving. I hate sitting in traffic. I just feel like I'm not doing anything. which Literally, I'm not. Yeah. Um, and also, like uh, the status symbol of the car. What I, what I've been fighting with a lot of my clients, particularly the younger ones, the millennials, is they don't care about cars nearly no. as much as any like older generations. So they're they're less likely to spend, which I'm quite happy with because of this affordability thing. I, I'm constantly telling people like, you know, buying a brand new car is like one of the worst investments. They always say it's an investment. It's not an investment. It's not an investment. It it depreciates 10% in one day. Yeah, yeah. And then another 10% in another year. And then 40% within five years. That's not an investment. I'm always telling, like... And then the cost. You just mentioned $900 um, compared to maybe someone who does an Evo or something else. Or maybe they buy a cheaper car, which may be $300 or something like that. Well, that's $600 a month. That's, you know, about... a Mortgage payment for 100 grand or so. Uh, so that's the opportunity cost that people should be weighing.
2: This is totally, I totally agree. And I, I think that a lot of people don't think about those overall costs, right? And once they do quote unquote invest in their vehicle, they feel like they have to use it. Mm-hmm. And so they really kind of think about it like, well, I could take an Evo for 41 cents a minute, or you take my car, it's free. Right. Like, you can't see my air quotes here. Yeah, yeah. Free, right? Um, but it isn't. And I think that that is uh, something that the younger generation have kind of figured out. Um, when I was in high school, I all I wanted was a car. Mm-hmm. A car was freedom. A car, you know, the, depending on what it looked like, represented me and my friends and and that sort of thing. I think now there's more things for kids to spend their money on. Right. And I think that they're um, they're more focused on making sure they have a smartphone. Mm-hmm. Uh, versus a car. So, you know, their smartphone is their car yeah. now. And uh, that allows them to meet up. I used to have to drive to different McDonald's parking lots to find my friends, you mm-hmm. know. And so now they just, they can text each other. They can figure out where they're all going to be. Um, and I don't think that y- there's the same sort of like, as I say, stigma. And it's, it's a big word, but, you know, I uh, around transit, I don't think younger people have that anymore the way that they did when I was growing up. Um, I think they understand it. They understand that like things are expensive and w- why are they going to spend their money on a car?
1: Yeah. You know? Or if they do, like I'm, when I'm talking to people, so there's always that thing. It's like, well, I qualify for this car, you know, $500. And I was like, just because you qualify for something doesn't mean you can afford it. And then the way that a lot of dealers or how people sell cars is not by the end price. They're always talking about the payment and saying, I, this is what you can afford. And like, no, that's not. That's the wrong calculation. You got to do the math differently. So I, 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 I try to break it down with them. And sometimes it just falls on death ears. And I know they're going to buy the car anyway. Yeah. They're adults. They can do whatever they want. It's not a problem. But I always make a point of saying, this is the opportunity cost. If your goal, if your longer-term goal is to buy a place or... You know, go on a year-long vacation or something. This is what you're giving up for this car, and typically it's diminishing returns. You feel great about yourself for what a month or two, and then it's just you're getting in your car. So that's my little rant. You no, know, I I
2: agree, <laughs> and I you know I've I've had um, I've had a lot of cars in my life. I've had cars that are aren't very good, and I've had you know really nice cars. They've gotten me to the same places the exact same way, mm-hmm. and uh, I haven't felt any better about myself by having a nicer car. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, ultimately what it comes down to is, um, you know, what are those choices that you want to make? Now, one of the things about um, Vancouver, you know, I grew up in Victoria. And when I grew up in Victoria, the transit system wasn't as good. Mm-hmm. Obviously, there was no car sharing or, or, or uh, ride hailing or anything like that. So it was challenging to get around. You almost needed a car. Um, in Vancouver right now, you don't need a car. If you live in Vancouver proper... Mm -hmm. Um, or any of the, you know, North Van, New West, Burnaby, there are lots of options to get around. And obviously this week, there's even more options to get around. And Mm -hmm. so, um, yeah, I I think that people really need to have a good hard think about whether or not they, they need that vehicle because there are, you know, I think the estimation is a million more people moving into the Metro Vancouver area by 2050. Right. And, you know, if they all have cars... We're going to be in some serious trouble. Yeah. Right.
1: And by this week, because I'm not sure when this podcast airs, but this week is when Lyft and Uber came into fruition in Vancouver. So that that's that leads to a whole nother set of questions. Yeah. So Lyft, Uber, are they are they complementary or are they competition? Uh,
2: I think they're a little bit of both. To be honest with you, um, I think having options um, for people to get rid of their vehicles is key. Mm-hmm. And, um, it, it gives people another option, you know, uh, do we think that we'll see some, some market share that's taken? I think for sure. Um, I think that as they come in, people in Vancouver have wanted it for so long. Yep. I'm one of them. We, yeah. You know what? So am I as a, as someone trying to get around, especially after I've been at a brewery, mm-hmm. so, you know, um, it's a, it's a great way to get home. Um, but I do think that people are going to start to use it just for the novelty of it. Right. Um, and uh, so so we're, we're cautiously optimistic about what that's going to, going to look like. Um, but we do think that there is enough room for everybody. Um, and ultimately, we know that car sharing, and it's been proven, that car sharing um, reduces um, car ownership. And we think this is just another thing that's going to add to that, you know, because the case... Um, that, that we look at, the kind of use case is for the most part alcohol related. Right. right. And so if I'm driving to the pub and I take an Evo and I just, you know, I leave it there, I, I can't take an Evo home. Right. After I, you better not. Anyways. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, this gives an option now, another option for people. Um, as we know, it can be challenging to, to get a cab um you know although my wife was out this this weekend and she said it was actually pretty easy to get a cab this weekend so yeah. you know uh um, well, there's
1: definitely times where super oh, for sure. Right?
2: well i think it's just the trade off really right yeah. next
1: weekend super bowl yeah yeah that's going well, to be think, busy right
2: i think that will be a really good a really good test right. and um as as ride hailing comes in i don't think it's fully baked yet mm-hmm. I, I you know obviously the class 4 licensing is um you know, has made it somewhat challenging for them to to get drivers. Um, and uh, so it'll be interesting to see once it's kind of fully, fully baked and they've got um, a good complement of drivers, how Vancouverites really start to, to use it.
1: So do you have examples of where there was car sharing and then ride sharing came in or vice versa, like in Europe or some other places? And what was the result? You
2: know, most, most cities um, have had both. Which one came first? Um, I would say car sharing came first. Okay. Um, you know, if I look at ShareNow, Car2Go, they've they've been around since you know, uh, oh gosh, I think they were here in uh, I want to say 2009. Okay. Uh, is when they started. Uh, don't quote me on that, but uh, they were definitely the trailblazers with this. So they were they were here and they were in other cities uh, before ride hailing came in.
1: But uh, is it a coincidence that they're leaving as soon as ride sharing comes in?
2: Uh, in not here no I that was a decision it, that was made yeah the share now you know from from what I know and and is that it's kind of an, a bigger picture uh, decision based on the fact that you know they're they Daimler and BMW merged mm-hmm. and they took over those and I think that they looked at it and said we are not um, doing as well as we as we'd hoped in North America mm-hmm. overall um, I'm pretty sure that that car to go share now was profitable in vancouver um, we're a great market for car sharing mm-hmm. um, i think they were just unfortunately a um a victim of that that overall decision to to pull um all of north america which is a bit of a shame um you know i i know that there was a lot of memes and things about like uh, this is what it looks like at you know at evo today when they announced and we're all partying but I think really it's it is a bit of a concern for us because one it's great to have competitors yeah because they push they, you they push you um, they can innovate and you can see kind of how things are, are going mm-hmm. and ultimately It's um, good for the consumers too it's it's great like it's a great way to double up your your fleet without paying for it okay. you know yeah. <laughs> as an operator um, but I think the, the other thing is it just shows that like when you're talking to municipalities about, hey, maybe you'd like to offer, allow us to operate and partner with us, um, that that we could kind of say, look, it's it's happening in all these different areas. When you take those away, um, sometimes municipalities might think, oh, I don't know, does it even work? Uh, mm. So it's, you know, sad to see.
1: <clears throat> Would There's a lot of like mini cities coming up now, often around transportation hubs, like Richmond is doing really well around Canada Line. Uh, Burnaby has these massive towers going yeah. everywhere. Yeah. So I could see because you need density, you need people who, who need to use these places, uh, these cars, and uh, and you know even though they're around a transportation hub doesn't mean you can always get there. So would there be plans or would, would those be the areas that you'd be looking to expand? Maybe just like sort of these little satellite things. Not all of Richmond, but Richmond proper.
2: I I think that town centers are great. You know, I I love the concept of having kind of a uh, building a community around transit. Um, Primarily SkyTrain lines are just so easy to get around. Mm -hmm. And having that kind of self-sustaining, you know, uh, town center. So you've got all your shopping, um, you know, your your transit, mobility hubs, whether it be things like bike share and and car share in there that, that kind of allow you to get around I love that idea. You know, um, I'm at a lot of, of mobility conferences and a lot of uh, things about, you know, kind of how we plan our cities and the idea of urban sprawl and kind of going further out and further out and further out and people commuting really, really long ways mm-hmm. in single cars by themselves. Is, yeah. You know, it's it's just not sustainable. And so for cities like, you know, Burnaby, for example, to to allow a place like Brentwood to be built and, and lowheed, um, is is really exciting to see. Um, and um, I think that's how cities should be built. And, uh, yeah, definitely car sharing is something that, that you know, we want to be part of that um, when it's ready to go.
1: Do you have deals with, like, developers? Like, developers do these big complexes. They could do six towers, and they say, okay, well, they're not going to do parking lots for everybody, so maybe car share will have a certain designated spots. Is that something that's happening, or is that something that you're talking about?
2: Yeah, so we, we do talk with developers. We get a lot of developers that, that contact us. And depend- oh, so they, they want it. Yeah, and, and the reason being is a lot of times, depending on which city they're operating in, uh, they will get concessions on how much parking they, they have to build. Um, the parking uh, is extremely expensive to build, mm-hmm. which is funny, because like you think it's just you know, concrete and two yellow lines. Well,
1: you see them for sale for like 80 grand.
2: Yeah. Well, this is it. I think, you know, on average, it costs about $50,000 to build one parking spot. You know, that's based on the fact that they've got to drill underground and and do all that. Um, So when you start to think about that, um, then there can be some great partnerships that can happen because the developer is not going to build as much, which means that it's really kind of focusing on people that are going to buy or rent in these buildings based on the fact that they don't have a car or need a car. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think that ultimately we're able to help with that, um, so that they can get around when they need to. Um, you know, I think one of the things that we, we try to work though with developers is making sure that one, we have convenience of those, those spots, mm-hmm. um, and that they're accessible to everybody. And that's where we start to kind of, Uh, bump heads a little bit is because we want those vehicles to be used for the residents of the building, but also anyone else that's just happened to walk by. Mm. And so there can be security issues. I was going to say,
1: before or after the gate, right?
2: Yeah. And so, you know, what we really like to do is see if we can figure out a way to have right out front, surface level, three or four spots, done and done. Um, And so I think that that can be challenging because, you know, architectural plans get moving pretty quickly and they say, We'll put you in P three in the bottom corner, and we can check our boxes. So it's really kind of a it's a partnership to to make sure that we're getting something that's going to work for our members and create convenience, and something that's going to allow them to to um, you know fulfill their obligations to the cities.
1: So in your personal circumstance, did you go from two cars to one car and an Evo, or what? What did you end up? It's, doing? Ac- it's actually uh, funny you said that. How did that.
2: you morph? Yeah, so. Um, so I live in East Van, so I'm very fortunate that I can, I'm very close to transit. Um, I'm really right in between downtown and work. Perfect. So yeah. um, uh, my, uh, my daughter is uh, seven and she goes to a school that's just a few blocks away. Hmm. Um, so we had two cars. Uh, and in fact, we had two cars until yesterday. I oh. I took back our second car yesterday and, um, and have, are, am now... Deciding, okay, we're going to be a one-car family, and I'll eventually convince my wife that it's a good idea. But uh, I think that what we're going to do is we're going to we're going to focus on things like bike riding. Um, you know, obviously the city's got a great network of bike lanes, mm-hmm. and and I think active transportation is something that is you know great for for congestion and, and health, and is something that I want my daughter to to be a part of her lifestyle because I'm already seeing that her her lifestyle growing up is more sedentary than Mm -hmm. than mine was right mine was go outside and play yeah and hers is yeah i'm gonna go look at youtube for a little bit right right? so trying to figure out ways that we can kind of do that um obviously we're right on transit lines as well too and uh and then evo yeah you know i'm uh, of course i can i can uh, you know use evo when it's convenient and when it works um so yeah, I I am very interested to see how I can do it myself because I I talk the talk, I need to walk the walk. So, yeah, it's uh,
1: always good when you can, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, I, when I've I talk about budgeting a lot, and uh, there's certain times in my life where I needed to cut down on stuff because I wanted to go on this vacation or I wanted to buy this certain thing, and it's you know the de- the whole delayed gratification thing. Yeah. And I sort of looked at you do your budget and you look at all the things you're, where your money is going. There's, like, apps you can use. There's a whole bunch of different ways you can do it. And I was noticing, like, things like entertainment. I was spending a lot. I was going out too much or going out a lot. And then I was seeing this whole thing about cord cutting. So I was like, okay. It was a couple years back when the NHL went on strike. So we're talking a good chunk of years back. Yeah. But that made me angry. I was like, and the main reason I watched TV was to watch the Canucks. So I I was like, forget it. I'm going to – they're on strike. I'm cutting it. And then – it, they didn't resolve for like a year. Like that whole season was lost, and then they resolved. And I was like, "I'm used to it. It didn't change my life one iota, except for I'm c- keeping an extra hundred bucks." So then, I to this day, I do not have cable or anything else. I watch, you know, YouTube and various other things, and it's there's no problems. I've got a family of four. It didn't impact their life at all. Yeah. I noticed for me when we went, we had two cars. We went down to one. Yeah, there's there's a little bit of a. Oh, I wish we could do this. But you just adapt. And after a while, you just don't notice it. And once in a while, we don't have Evo, but we got, uh, I got a dad and a mom who live like five minutes away. So if I need their car, I can just bike over, grab their car and do the one-offs. But I can imagine that'd be a pretty good substitution. So I'm guessing it won't affect your family life or your enjoyment of life, quality of life much at all.
2: I think it really, um, you have to be more planful. Yeah. Is is what it is. Which um, is
1: good for the environment. It's good for a whole bunch of different reasons.
2: You know, I think that Um, all of us need to kind of do our part from an environmental standpoint. Um, and you know, again, having a vehicle and sitting in it by myself to go to work when I could be taking a bus, um, I think is something that that you you kind of have to look at and say, is, is this really the, am I doing the right thing? And the way that we're connected right now as well too, is, you know, I start work when I wake up, you Mm -hmm. know, I grab my phone and I start going through emails and things like that. And I start to kind of wrap my head around the day, um, I can do that on a bus, you know? Yeah. Um, and, you know, what I also find is when I ride my bike to work, uh, I feel a lot better when I get there. I feel like I'm, I'm ready to go. Mm-hmm. And uh, um, my work is, is, I'm very fortunate. We have, you know, great uh, bike storage. And we've also got um, kind of after-ride facilities. So we've got our own kind of shower rooms and change rooms and things like that. Mm-hmm. And I know that the city of Vancouver is very focused on making sure that when people are building new office buildings, those things are included because that's a big part of it. It's Mm -hmm. not just the bike lanes. It's about someone saying, I don't want to be sweaty and gross when I get to work. Right. So how do you facilitate those things? So there's a lot of little pieces that I think that, um, especially the city of Vancouver has been really, really good about um, starting to address with people. And, you know, we always think about it when we're trying to attract talent. You know, how do you attract talent? And you, you, you do that by making sure there's lots of different options for people in, in those facilities. So I think we're seeing it more and more, um, uh, which is great. And I, I would
1: add that we're a very active family because I hear that excuse all the time. It's like, oh, I got kids in hockey and we go camping, we do all that. We do all that. Like my daughter's in ice hockey, and if you got a daughter in hockey, that means you got to drive all around the Lower Mainland because yeah. there's not that many teams. We go skiing. We go up to Whistler a lot. We go camping, and we we manage to do all that with one car. on, on the most for the most part.
2: Yeah. No, that's a, 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 again. It's I would assume it's being organized. Yeah, right? you,
1: you got to plan things out. Yeah, and you. You do you do have your scheduling, and sometimes you do have to tap on an Evo, or you could do to got to tap on a on a relative or something like that, boiler yeah. car. But it's again, I you know, it wasn't a big impediment going down to one car, particularly because I take the train into work. Yeah. So my wife is basically has the car most of the time. Yeah. And as long as she has the car and she's happy, then you know the saying.
2: I uh, <laughs> same way, and I, I think that uh, you know we're we're very lucky. My wife can work from home as well if she needs to. And, uh, but like I said, I'm just so close to, to my work and, and, and downtown and my job a lot of the times is being in an Evo, being out in parking lots is doing things like this is, um, um, you know, meeting with vendors. So, you know, I'm, I'm in an Evo a lot of the time. I don't know why I need to drive a car to my work just to park it there so that it's there for me when I come home. Right. So.
1: So presumably, no one can rent an Evo for an hour, fifteen bucks. Do that, for, or for how much is it for a day?
2: So for a day, it's ninety dollars.
1: So could somebody theoretically rent an Evo for ninety dollars a day and work for you, Uber?
2: Um, so technically they could. They wouldn't be allowed to though. So uh, right now, we're updating our, our member agreement to make sure that that uh, you know people can't do that. Um, and the only reason that we don't want people doing that right now is because you need to have the cars, uh, inspected and, uh, we haven't gone through those inspection processes based on what the passenger transportation board has, has put out.
1: So you're saying Uber needs to inspect the cars?
2: Yeah. Basically the car inspection from what I know is actually the driver. So as the driver, you own that vehicle. Okay. And then depending on how many miles, uh, sorry, kilometers there are on the vehicle, then you might have to do one inspection a year or up to two. Okay. And, um, you know, with a, a fleet of 1,500 cars with different mileage on, on those vehicles, um, it's not something that we're ready to do at this point. Um, you know, but I, I think that as as things start to morph and we, and we start to see if there's an opportunity, we're, we're always open to looking at, at innovative ways to use our vehicles and Um, That could be something that we're open to, Um, but we'd have to make sure that one, it was done so that it was safe for people that, you know, um, we're a big believer in doing the right thing. And, and, and we want to make sure that we're, we're doing the right thing, but it could be an opportunity. I think that a lot of our vehicles aren't used after, you know, 1am. Right. And um, that's a a big challenge. Big time for for Uber and Lyft um, mm-hmm. is that, that kind of early morning, late night pickups, right? So, um, yeah, there could be an opportunity in the future, but, um, you know, we, we would have to make sure that we understood what we needed to do to make sure we were w- within the laws.
1: Yeah, because I, I remember taking Ubers in California and, and I asked... All only Uber drivers, how it works. And a lot of them said they rented cars.
2: Yeah, you know, Lyft um, does have its own uh, partnerships with, I think it's Hertz or Avis or one of those, um, that allows people that don't have a vehicle to rent a vehicle at a kind of certain discount right. if they're using it for Lyft. And so it, it allows them to get more drivers, and drivers get those cars that are newer and nicer and safer. So.
1: That'd be interesting to see.
2: Yeah, yeah, definitely.
1: Well, it's definitely an opportunity. Like you said, you got an asset that's idle for eight hours, yeah. something like that. And if you could make that into a viable asset and generate revenue as well.
2: It, we've definitely kicked the idea around. Um, and I think that one of the things is we feel like we've been talking about ride hailing coming in forever. Right. Um, and um, we have all sorts of different ideas about you know how we want to uh, make sure that we're still a, a, an integral part of people's mobility um but it's it's now that it's here it seemed to happen so quick <laughs> mm. you know what i mean so um you know we're we're in a bit of a, a situation where our competitors leaving we have new competitors coming in um and we want to see kind of how things shake out to be honest with you so right um you know our focus is just you know making sure that that our vehicles are there and they're running and they're they're ready for people
1: because that's one of the ex- that's one of the excuses or justifications for buying a car for that I hear for some people like a new car, is like oh I'll I'll, I'll be part of the gig economy. So I'm instead of buying, I generally suggest for generally millennials or something like that just buy a good affordable car like I'm talking five grand four grand mm-hmm. as long as it's safe. Like I like the Japanese cars because there's less maintenance. It's yeah. like just something that can get you to point A to B safely. And they often recommend they often say well you know A I don't have five grand cash. And if I finance it at 0%, it only cost me $400 yeah. or something like that. And then if I, I could just just do Uber for a couple of days and I'll pay for it. And I'm always like, yeah, well, we'll see how that works out. Intentions are great, but you're justifying this cost. And regardless, that payment's going to be on your credit. And if you do want to do something else, like get that mortgage, it's going to be a massive hindrance. So I'm always saying, think four steps ahead. You know, don't just think about the right now.
2: Well, it's interesting that you say that. I, you know, I I was um, lucky enough to to purchase a house over ten years ago, and uh, I had a friend that uh, a very close friend that was a mortgage broker, and he really was kind of like he he showed me the ins and outs of like what you need to do and, mm-hmm. and the things that you do, um, and how they affect your credit. Right. You know. And I just, I always feel that there's not enough education for young people around credit cards, credit, financial planning, those sorts of things to help them make these decisions mm-hmm. from a long-term. And the scary thing right now is, is because of the, um, the affordability issues that we're having in the city is I think a lot of young people are kind of just throwing their hands up saying, well, I'm never gonna get a down payment mm-hmm. for a house. So what's the point? And, um, and, you know, I think it's, it's really about <clears throat> kind of, you know, coming back a little bit from that and saying, okay, well, you can still make good decisions in, in you know, what you're doing with your money. Um, and I, I think that we're a part of that. I think that um, understanding what those long-term uh, car loans and lease payments and things like that, what they, what they do to, to your credit later on, I know that when I, it came time for me to get a mortgage... I, even though I knew I have still had my fingers crossed, like, geez, I hope there's not some weird bay card that I got yeah. a million years ago that somehow is going to stop me from doing this. Um, so it's, it's hard to see into the future when you're young. It is, but
1: exactly what you said, it, it makes a big difference. Like the, a car loan can make or break a mortgage, like whether you qualify or not, particularly with a stress test right now. And you look at the car loans because now, sure, they're making the car loans amounts might be lower. Instead of $300 or $400 over four years, now it's $200 over seven years. Oh, yeah. And you might be getting your first car when you're at a university or something like that. Maybe you're 24, 25, and you're, like, celebrating. It's like, hey, I deserve this. Well, 24 to over eight years, like, that's that's a peak time for you to be gathering assets. You're probably going to get married during that time. You're probably going to be moving out. You may be, if you're lucky enough to be able to afford something, those are the decisions you're going to make. And that's, that's just a big hindrance.
2: Yeah. I, you know, for me also, I think just people understanding like that kind of standard of living, like what, what they expect to get. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I, I think that as, as, as younger kids move out, I think that they need to kind of reassess, like, do they need a a 4,000 square foot home? You know is that really something to aspire to do you really need that anymore you know really kind of what does your lifestyle want to look like and and uh, you know for us living kind of in a more urban area i think it's it's a, a something that i i enjoy about where i live and and um, and the closeness to everything and i have friends that live you know in langley and things like that and they have beautiful homes but it it just the the time of commuting and the the things that make it challenging for them it's it's uh, it's sometimes a bit of a head scratcher to me.
1: Well, in the real estate game, I mean, we got these big monster mansions, and they're super popular, but they're not popular for the next generation. So there's actually going to be a struggle selling these things. Yeah, so they're going to be dividing them up into like three different houses, or because uh, the bigger your house, the more crap you got to put in it, and the more cost of heat and stuff. And people are now looking at their budget and saying, I can't afford this heat, or I can't afford this insurance. I much rather have a twelve hundred square foot house. Yeah, fourteen hundred maybe for a family of four and it's perfectly fine. You look all around the world, Europe, a lot of people don't have cars, right? In the big cities, Asia, same thing, and they're they could live in a five hundred square foot house and be fine.
2: I think you know, um, I grew up my my parents, or my mom specifically was from England, so we would go back and, and visit family there, and they all lived in you know row houses and. Tiny little backyards, and and uh, everyone was fine. <laughs> you know what I mean? They they loved their lives. They were having a good time, yeah. and, um, and they would come over and and see our house with the big backyard, and they were like, "Well, this is crazy that you live in a house like this." Um, well, they think it's a waste of land.
1: Oh, it's, totally, it's totally. a waste of a resource, which technically it is. I mean, that's why you'll never see. And we're getting off topic, but yeah, you'll, yeah. you'll you'll never see another zoning for single family home. Yeah, because right? yeah. people are making these decisions to live in smaller. And cutting off things like cable or our cars, downsizing. and But their standard of life is great. Yeah. And they, they don't have to commute all those hours. Those are the decisions now people are, are making.
2: Yeah, it's, I'd much rather be home sooner and hang out with my kid mm-hmm. than uh, be sitting on Highway 1, you yeah. know, trying to get home.
1: Yeah. No, I agree with that. Yeah. So uh, did you… Do you mind if we talk about yourself a little bit? Sure, yeah. Okay, so you're, you're, uh, you're a manager. You're basically in charge of uh, all your customers' relations and everything else like that. Yeah. So when you went to school, did you, is this what you dreamed
2: you'd be doing? You know, I, I had a, an interesting path. So um, I actually didn't go to university. Okay. So uh, I, I finished high school, I swear, uh, <laughs> and uh, I didn't know what I wanted to do. So mm-hmm. I, uh, I, I went over to England for a few months and, and hung out there and had fun and uh, came back and, and uh, got a job doing retail, which is, you know, selling clothes and selling shoes and things like that. And a lot of my friends were, you know, in university and, and, and doing the kind of normal path. And um, it kind of got to a point when I was in my early 20s where I thought, oh, I should probably get an adult job. Quote unquote," mm-hmm. um, And one of the things that came up was insurance. And uh, so I ended up getting uh, my insurance license and working for BCAA. So and, uh, selling what kind of insurance? Uh, personal lines. So it would be uh, home insurance, uh, travel insurance, okay. car insurance, things yeah. like that. And um, so I was lucky enough to get hired by BCAA, which is a good, a, a great organization. And um, I worked in one of their service locations for roughly four years on the island and a job came up here to uh, be a facilitator and, and do our training and learning and development. And so I came over and I I, I did that job for roughly 10 years and uh, really, really enjoyed, you know, uh, helping people get better at their job, making their jobs easier. It was very fulfilling. Um, but you can only kind of be up in front of people for a certain uh uh, amount of years before it starts to get a little draining. So right. I went back into operations and, um, uh, a few years after being in operations, you know, the, this, the job at Evo came up and Evo being created by BCAA was a definite departure from, from what they had done previously. Right. So, you know, BCA has been around for, um, over a hundred years, I think we're coming up to 110 years of being in in existence. And so, Evo's number five. Yeah, exactly. Right. So um, it was a really great thing for for BCA to look at and think, how can we start to attract millennial um, members, and how can we do it in a way um, that's genuine and and it actually helps them, and uh, so you know free floating one-way car sharing is is what they landed on and came up with Evo.
1: So did they did you guys pinpoint a need saying this is what's missing in our in our transportation industry?
2: Yeah, I think that one of the things that we wanted to stick with was was things that we knew about, which is mobility. ShareNow was already established though? Yeah. Yeah, Car2Go was already it was Car2Go at the time and it was it was in Vancouver already. Um, and they were they were doing well. Um, but we thought we could also complement that. Um, and, you know, ultimately it's, it's what we've done for over a hundred years, which is mobility, which is, which is getting people around and keeping them moving around. What
1: did you do differently than car to go
2: Well, one of the things that we did differently is we looked at the vehicle itself. So at the time they were using the, the 4.2s, little smart cars. And we thought, hmm, how can we kind of build something that's going to be geared more towards a a BC lifestyle? Right. And, and that was a, a larger vehicle. Um, that was hybrid, uh, so it was better for the environment, um, and had a roof rack on it for your skis, your snowboard, and and bikes, and um, you know that was that was one of the things that we thought we could differentiate ourselves uh, around, and for a long time, people would always assume that the four twos were were actually environmentally better cars, like oh right. they must be EVs or something, but they actually diesel vehicles, yeah. you know, so they actually were worse. Um, so, you know, that was one of the ways that we did it. I think the hybrid was really smart. One, you've got the cost perspective of it, right? You know, you're saving gas. But I, the, the other piece of it as well is we want to be part of the solution going forward. And I think hybrid starts us on that path of hopefully eventually one day getting to, to electric vehicles. So that's so, the ultimate goal. You know, I think the ultimate goal is 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 electric vehicles at some point. I think there's a lot of challenges that come with with having a, a large electric vehicle fleet mm-hmm. and and you know there's
1: charging issues it's charging yeah, right yeah.
2: it's uh infrastructure yeah. and um you know it's great to have a bunch of evs if they're all drained Happen yeah. anybody so it's really about finding ways that you can quickly charge that and technology is getting better every month uh, around those sorts of things and we keep a close eye on cities that are doing it and what are some of the things that they're doing well, and how the cities are helping, and and we're, you know we're hoping to to move forward and continue to partner with the cities that we're in um, to be able to enable uh, EVs, um, but no plans at this point of, of getting any any EVs.
1: So your your cars are are they all like five years old, or do you buy new ones every year and
2: uh, rotate yeah? Out? So we have we have some that are uh, yeah they're coming up to to five years, um, but not a lot of them. Um, you know, a lot of them have, have we've either kind of cycled through. Um, but every time that we've done an expansion uh, of our fleet, which is we've done about six of those, we just get the newer vehicle. Hmm. Um, now, you know, we've always stuck to Prius Cs. That's, that's, you know, what we've got. They're not making those anymore. So if we do decide to expand going forward from a fleet perspective we're going to have to look at what that looks like but i think we're getting close to to what that'll look like
1: the branding's pretty good because it's very distinctive for me to drive in here and spot the i think it was five or six uh, evos it's it's pretty easy to spot
2: yeah you know it's funny we always joke that the we put the the roof racks on there for yeah. you know but really they're they're like really expensive wayfinding you know you yeah. can always see like oh there's a roof rack that must be where the vehicle is so hmm. yeah it's
1: interesting that way. It's also interesting that you you basically stayed with one company your whole career. Yeah, yeah, like that's I,
2: very odd. Yeah, it is. I'm a weirdo. Uh, you know, I think that I just celebrated my 20 year anniversary at BCA, and and uh, so it's it's it is it's uh, it's an interesting thing, and um, definitely not the norm when I, I look at my peers and how many different uh, places they've worked but I've been very fortunate to, to work at a company that's um, been very, very, um, employee focused, Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, and has allowed me to do so many different jobs within the actual organization. So yeah, I've been at the same place for 20 years, but I've, I've done about nine to 10 different jobs. Right. And each one has kind of gotten me a little bit higher up that ladder. So, um, you know, if, 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 uh, if somebody familiar is going to give me an opportunity I'm definitely going to going to take that
1: so you made it to your position you've made it uh, fairly high up the ladder um, without education without a formal yeah. post secondary education now now you're a manager you're hiring people you're training people do you do you find it makes a big difference or is it more of experience Education mixture of both.
2: You know, I, I, personality. I, I think that there's all of those things are gonna gonna play into it. And um, uh, you know someone that has just done schooling and really doesn't have any experience with, with people, you know that can be a little bit challenging depending on what role you're looking for. So primarily the hiring that we do is in the call center. Okay. And uh, you know we do a lot of people uh, that are in school right now that are that are funding their schooling. And have have had jobs during that. I love those sorts of people because they've been able to balance and be organized, and that's a so. Big... They work summers or they work at nights. They work nights. We have a twenty four seven call center. Okay. And uh, so we have a lot of part time students, and we do our best to to work with their schedules to to um, be able to make it work for them. So, and, so uh, they can
1: do their homework between that 1 o'clock a.m. to 8, unless you guys do the Uber route, then yeah,
2: going to really yeah. difficult for Yeah, uh, you know, we, they those, a lot of people are doing those late-night shifts, and, yeah. and shout-out to them for for doing that. I know it's a real challenge, but um, it does get slower, and I think some of them do take that time to to catch up on on work, um, you know, as long as they're answering the calls. Yeah, yeah we're, we're as long on, as you're getting your job done. Exactly, okay. that's the way I look at it. And, um, yeah, so... It, whether or not they have education, to me, um, it, you know, uh, it, it doesn't really necessarily matter. What I would look for when I'm hiring somebody, or uh, it, is somebody who can can think a little different, can be innovative, um, can be respectful of the people that they're working with and, and their ideas, yeah. and, and try to figure out how we can all work towards a common goal. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that's that's really really key for me because again you every day we walk in to work and uh, something that we've never seen happens or um uh, you know or we can you know share now is shutting down it's like oh my gosh okay everybody in a room let's figure out yeah. how we can um respond to this and um you know this this week is obviously you know no different you know we got uber and lyft okay well how are we going to respond to that and how are we going to You know work with what the new landscape is so you need to be able to be flexible and 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 innovative that's that's really key to to what what we're doing
1: so some of the traits you mentioned there which i I agree with i hire people as well and i don't necessarily just look at their education i look at their experience but uh, most of the time it's a conversation and uh problem solving is huge yeah to be able to think and not always have to be told what to do. They can actually take the initiative and do things on their own to fix things. I think those are assets that are really good, which you can learn in school, absolutely, because yeah. there's a lot of courses that sort of teach that critical thinking. But you can also learn it you know, online courses or just working in the, in the, in the field. Yeah. You know, work experiences should not be uh, underrated. But I, I look at my own kids and like, I got one, my son, I won't say he's not the most academic kid, right? So he, he, uh, not the best grades. He's only fourteen. Whatever, you know, he has time. I was the same way. But the one thing about him is he's so comfortable talking to people. Like if he was here, he'd just come and talk to you and be no problem. And to me, I'm like, sure, his grades might not be all that great, but the fact that he can just go up and talk to people, I think that's a massive attribute that we don't see in a lot of people, right? And then my daughter's kind of the opposite. She's very shy, takes a long time to warm up, but her grades are pretty good. So it'll be interesting to see which one. Uh, Hopefully, they both do well.
2: I've been uh, blessed with the gift of gab, as they say. So I, I have been able to to um, get in front of people and talk to them, and that was uh, part of the reason that I was able to secure a job being a facilitator and being a trainer. Is that's something that just scares the heck out of people, getting up in front of somebody and. And talking to them, and I, I really—it it has never been a, a a real issue to me. Depending on who's in the room, you mm. know what I mean. So yeah. well, it can be a little nerve wracking when your boss is in the room. But, right, right. Um, you know, but for the most part, yeah, I think that being able to to connect with people is really important, especially in the job that, that we're doing at Evo. Um, if somebody has a, an accident, for example, that's a that's a terrible experience to go through, whether it's your own car or car share vehicle. So when they call us and they let us know that that's happened, we need to make sure that we're creating a great experience for them. Right. And that's something we pride ourselves on yeah. uh, to ensure that that we make sure that they're safe, that uh, they know what to do, that, that we're being clear with them, um, and that we're empathetic to what they've just gone through. Um, so,
1: Are those skills you can coach? Like if someone's not like my daughter, who's not naturally the most outgoing person, but
2: as a, you're a coach, so yeah. can you t- coach those skills? I, I think you can. I think that um, <laughs> well, you can do one of two things: you can, you can coach to it, um, or you can see those people that just cannot seem to do it. Put them in a different role. Exactly. Go with their strengths. You know, yeah, that's exactly. And we have areas where where um, you know people can can go through and process tickets and, and memberships and things like that. And um, but yeah, I think that that you can coach to those things because. It's important that people understand what they can say and what they can't say. And one of the great things about um, being a coach uh, around a call center environment is you've got recorded calls. Mm. And when somebody hears themselves, um, you know, doing something right or doing something that, that uh, they haven't quite mastered yet, uh, it really like the, the light bulb goes on. They, they can They can really hear it. Um, what they kind of said wrong exactly it's not a like no no i said that and no yeah. no you didn't and it comes a bit of back and forth when you've got the recording and they're like wow okay yeah. i didn't even really realize i was doing that probably so. like
1: us when this podcast comes out oh, we're gonna yeah. be like oh my oh, god i out. Can't can't <laughs> <laughs> is
2: that what i sound like <laughs> oh my gosh yeah, yeah
1: i get that all the time I mean, it's like yeah. oh you, that, you, you sound differently yeah that's pretty that okay that's good to know it's coachable but then it also makes sense that if it's if it's not in their nature, often don't try to force it.
2: And that's where the hiring comes in, too, right? I think that um, when you've got a large call center, you start to get pretty uh, adept at at uh, understanding who who's going to work and who isn't, um, usually by their answers. And I've got some uh, managers that that report into me that do an amazing job of, of of vetting people, and we have a a really low attrition rate, um, which is which is nice to see. And I think that's that's partially because. We try to create an environment for our staff that, that is comfortable that is open. Uh, you make a mistake, it's okay. let's let's work through it. Um, you know it's not a high pressure sort of everyone you know yelling and it's know, not a boiler room. No, yeah, no timers on the wall, yeah, yeah. nothing like that, right? So I, I think that um, for me, it's experience. I really and we're in a way, it's nice. we're not selling anything when they call, right? right. We're just there to help. We're just there to help you get on your way, or end your trip, or do whatever you need to do.
1: I had a job once where I had to write down what I did every 15 minutes. Oh my god! Whether I went to the bathroom, I had to write that down. I I lasted like four months. Yeah, it seems like like I'm not going to do a waste of time. Well, exactly. Uh, You spend more time thinking about what you're going to write down than actually doing your work, so it's counterproductive. They had their reasons, but yeah. (laughs) So I don't know how much time we have left, but maybe you should. Tell me about how the process works. So now you've convinced me. Okay, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna sign up for Evo. Okay, great. Um, what's my next step?
2: Well, I, I think I think the first thing you want to do, and if you if you're interested in Evo, is um, yeah, Google us. Okay. Right. And one reason I say that is because um, we always have a lot of great promo codes and yeah. things like that to 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 ensure that people can one not only sign up for free, okay, um, but also get some free minutes as well too. And the reason I like free minutes is. Um, when you get into anybody's vehicle that's not your own, it takes a little while to get used to right. it. And um, I think a lot of times when people get in our cars the first time, they feel like the clock's ticking. You know, their money is, you know, it's slowly draining out of their wallets as they're fixing their mirrors and things like that. And so we really want people to get used to the vehicles and and uh, have some free minutes to kind of understand. When, how the when does the clock is. start then? Uh, once you you uh, start your trip. So. So before the engine started. You click
1: on, you get into the talk clocks. Exactly. So
2: what happens is um, once you sign up, you send us your ICBC record. We make sure you're you're a clean driver. Yeah. Um, And then once that's done uh, and we've approved you, then you've got um, uh, your app. So you download the Epo app, and that's going to have a map of our service area. And every little black pin is going to be one of our vehicles. And then you can click on that, and it'll bring up the vehicle, where it is, how much gas is in it. Um, and then you can reserve that vehicle for up to 30 minutes. So mm-hmm. you would reserve that vehicle. got half an hour to get to it. Once you get to the vehicle, you would then uh, click the Start Trip button. What well, that does, it unlocks the vehicle. Once that happens, that's when we start charging. Um, so you would, uh, you know, jump in, do whatever you need to do, get to where you need to go. Once you're there, you find a a you know, parking spot that is legal. Mm-hmm. We have a lot of them, especially with our metered parking. Um, and you just basically, uh, you know, turn the lights off if you've got that on, turn the vehicle off, close the door and walk away. And uh, within 15 seconds, the vehicle will lock itself. Mm-hmm. Um, or you can end the trip yourself on the, on the app. And, uh, and then it's available for the next person to use and you're, you're not charged anymore. So it's, it's really, really easy. Um, and, and once you start to see it as an option, it's, uh, and then, like you say, you start to see them everywhere.
1: Is there a minimum trip balance or cost?
2: So we do a a $1 all access fee. So anytime you start the trip, you get charged a dollar. Um, we put that in, uh, to allow us to get rid of some of the limitations we had on longer kilometer trips. So we used to have a, um, after a 200 kilometer, uh, trip, we would charge a little bit extra Mm -hmm. each kilometer. And we found that it wasn't a great experience for people. Uh, a lot of people didn't know about it, so they would drive up to Whistler and they come back, and what they thought the cost would be would be different than what it actually was right. because we were charging the extra kilometers. And we realized that it, what it was doing is it was just kind of, although it was in print there, most people didn't see it, and right. so it led to a bad experience. Yeah. But at the same time, you know, there's it's very costly to to, to you know run this this sort of operation. So uh, we put in the all access fee. And for your first 200 trips each year, you're charged that fee. Okay. After that, you don't get charged that anymore. So we have a lot of people as the year progresses on that that are way past their 200 trips a year and, and uh, aren't charged that dollar anymore. So it wouldn't make
1: sense, let's say, to just move Evo around the corner because you want to get a parking space or something like that because you would. Be charged, well, I mean, it's only
2: a dollar. <laughs> yeah, I guess you could, yeah. You know, I'm, um, yeah, as long as you put it somewhere legal. Yeah. You know what I, I mean? Because so. yeah. if you do, if you get a, a parking ticket uh, or a tow, it can be, you know, we pass that on to the person that that has that, right? Mm. So if, if you as a member has left it in a loading zone and thought, my ass, someone will take it, and they don't, and you get a ticket, you're going to get charged that, that ticket and uh there'll be a um, an admin fee as well
1: so you, you, is it hooked up to a credit card or something
2: exactly so yeah you put your credit card on file and then we let you know that hey we we put this charge on your credit card so
1: for people who don't have a credit card they, could they still use their service
2: no no not at, not at this at this point yeah, yeah. Hey, you have to have a, have a credit card
1: anything else they need so clean driving record credit card
2: that's pretty much it that's pretty much it yeah um you know, and uh, and that they understand that these vehicles are being shared. You know, a sense of community, uh, the way we like to say. So, you know, when I get into a vehicle and someone's left a whole bunch of wrappers and things like that on the floor, I'm always like, "Come on, you know." So,
1: actually, I I read an article that said that all Evo drivers are short,
2: yeah,
1: ugly, and dirty, or something yes, like that. Yes, yeah, I like read that
2: too. We had a good chuckle. Um, as as someone who's um a little taller. Uh, I, I do agree every time I get into an Evo, it, it always seems like someone that was four eleven was driving, but, right. uh, but yeah, I, I, you know, I, I, some people, they just think, I'll just leave this coffee cup in here or whatever. And we have teams that go out and clean and, and do what we need to do to make sure that those, those vehicles are as clean as possible. But, you know, I think that when you start to look at the sharing economy, we, we all kind of play a part in that. Right. And I, I think that we need to kind of look and say, maybe I'm not going to throw my Tim Hortons wrapper in the very back. of the car, Well, that right?
1: that's the thing. So the article was pretty negative about it. Uh, I think it was short, dirty, and something else, right? Yeah. Um, short because they they're saying the Evo cars are small and dirty because people use it as a trash trash con- container. But when you read the comments, they're almost all positive, saying, yeah. "Oh, this is this is ridiculous. Evo is great, and this is how it works for me." And some people are like, "Yeah, there's on occasion there's there's some trash in there, but." for the most part, it's a good experience.
2: I, you know, I think we, we read that article and we, we thought it was kind of kind of funny. I, I think it was done somewhat tongue-in-cheek.
1: And, I think so, too. I tried to look up the guy and yeah. I saw a bunch of his other articles, which were sort of, he, he was writing to get an, uh, a reaction, for sure.
2: Yeah, and, and I think that um, anyone that's used our, our servicing, they can relate to that. And, um, again, that's, that's why I'm always, you know, kind of when people ask me I'm like hey just just take take all your stuff with you you know what I mean
1: well I can say I've, I've entered my own car a bunch of times and there's been a bunch of crap in there and I'm like,
2: <laughs> I, like I know exactly
1: who did it <laughs> uh,
2: like I said I have a seven-year-old so uh she still has a booster seat and every time I have to pull that booster seat up for something a million Cheerios oh my goodness um, yeah it's crazy what's under there
1: yeah. yeah thank you very much I'll check out those promo codes yeah i like awesome. to get a good
2: deal there you go
1: thank you
0: My Financial Life is a production of Alumni UBC. Thank you to our host, Mark Ting, partner with Foundation Wealth, and our guest, Dave Worf, Senior Manager of Customer Operations at Evo CarShare, for participating in this episode. We would also like to thank Evo CarShare for sponsoring this episode.